0: Welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm your host, Marva Hinton. Today, we're welcoming Jonathan Escoffrey to the show. His award-winning, critically acclaimed debut link short story collection, If I Survive You, is a finalist for the 2023 Booker Prize. It was also on several publications' best books of 2022 lists, including The New Yorker, NPR, and Library Journal. Jonathan grew up in Miami, and most of these stories take place in South Florida. In November, he'll be coming to Miami to take part in the Miami Book Fair. If I Survive You just came out in paperback in September. Jonathan, this collection is just so well put together and so thought-provoking. I really enjoyed reading it. Thank you for coming on Read More to talk about it.
1: Oh, Thank you, Marva. I'm happy to be speaking with you about it.
0: If I Survive You consists of eight linked short stories about a family that immigrated to the U.S. from Jamaica in the 1970s. Parents, Topper, Sonia, and oldest son Delano leave Jamaica due to rising violence in Kingston. A few years later, another son, Trelawney, comes along. Like many immigrant families in this country, they struggle financially, and Trelawney struggles a lot with issues of identity. So before we get into talking about the stories themselves, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about just sort of this whirlwind that you've been on. I mean, the book has been so successful. You've had so many accolades for the collection and it's just getting praised from so many different corners. What has that been like for you? I mean, when you started to write, is this what you dreamed of when you thought about a successful collection?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that question. Um, you, when I'm asked that, I, I, I still get a little bit of uh, hesitation in terms of actually accepting that it's had a, a, a successful run, um, uh, especially at first as it started to appear on these lists and these and started to be nominated for awards. Um, I, I still kind of wondered, like, but does that make it, you know, a successful debut? Uh, but I think at a certain point you have to kind of, you know, accept it. It's, absolutely. It's, it's what I... Um, I dreamed about when I was thinking about you know the joy of crossing over from writer who uh, sits alone in a room and you know types all day and imagines um, crossing over to that kind of external world facing um, author uh, persona who you know gets to theoretically reap the benefits of all of the hard work that is uh, done over the years that it takes to write a book. Um, and yeah it's been it's been a wild ride i think the, the the coolest thing is really meeting people meeting readers meeting other authors who i admire and in some cases have admired for a very long time um getting to travel to places that i just never you know thought i i, I would be able to or or in some cases had even considered traveling to and and you know finding out really interesting things about uh, the country and, and, um, places outside of the country. So yeah, it's felt really great. It's felt really great. It's still, it's very, it's a different thing. Um, the, the author life versus the writing writer life. (laughs) Um, and you know, I, I do hold those two things, um, separately. And, um, I, I, I kind of, I'm at the point where I, I miss that quiet writer life um but you know i think there's always going to be these kinds of uh ebbs and flows in a in a in a career that's going well <laughs> so um I'm, i've been enjoying it and and also you know at the, the core of my love for this thing is the words and what's on the page um and getting into that kind of mental flow when you're you're excited to wake up and continue to explore a particular uh creative landscape that you are are trying to to, to get right and um so to me, that's the, that's the very best part, but to have, you know, some encouragement to continue to do that, <laughs> the, I, I can't really downplay that as much as I, I, I think it's my natural instinct to do so. Um, Yeah, it's, it's knowing that, you know, people will be waiting on the next book is, is a good thing.
0: You have been interviewed so many times. Uh, as I was getting ready to talk to you today, I started to go and look and see you know who else has already talked to you and sort of some of the issues that you covered then. And I was just wondering, is there a question that you feel like you're really tired of answering? And is there another question that you wish someone would ask you?
1: Uh, I, I don't think there's a question that I wish uh, someone would ask. I think a fun question I got once was like, where did you get, like I saw you out somewhere at a conference and you had a great coat on, where did you get it? And I thought, I like this question because I can can talk about things that, you know, aspects of my, um, my, my life or my personality that are a little bit um, less, uh, less serious, I suppose, or, or, or less um, there's the weighty questions. When I talk about identity, you know, obviously the book talks about identity um, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a Jamaican American if if, um, if if that's the even the the, the uh, identity that we want to land on for someone like Trelawney. uh sometimes you know a, a lot of that can 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 feel very weighty and I don't mind talking about it but um usually at some point in the conversation, there's a question. And sometimes sometimes this question is posed as the question. And sometimes it's posed as the not question. That's still the question, which is like, how much of this book is based on your own life or how much of this book is just your own life? And you decided to call it fiction. Um, and, you know, at, at, it's it's a question that I don't I mean, obviously, I am pulling from my own life. And this is me now <laughs> posing the question and maybe answering it myself uh, to some extent. But. You know, if I think for all writers pull from their own lives, the, their lived experience, whether they're talking in a very, you know, direct, explicit way about things like identity or not. Um, and so, I don't know, it's, it, it never quite feels like a, a fair question that I can get to like a very real, accurate answer to, um, you know, it's, it's like if I say it's exactly 49% <laughs> pulled from my life. Uh, Maybe that does something for for some people, but I, I won't walk away from that question feeling good about it because I know you know everything, even the things that were directly um, you know happened and are representations of what happened. They still change so much. and they're still that um, I have to dramatize them in ways or I have to consider them in ways that I never would um if if this was what I would be considering like nonfiction or or writing essays. Um, I think with fiction, I have to be a lot more fair to the characters, <laughs> in my opinion, anyway. Um, and maybe sometimes I'm, I'm less fair to my main characters. If there's like a proxy, if there's like a, you know, Chelani as Jonathan or Jonathan as Cholani, I should say, on the page, I'm usually like, well, I'm I'm, I'm so close to that character that I, I I want to poke and prod. And if there's anyone I want to, you know poke fun of in a sense it's 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 myself and it, it would be that chelani character who's coming to some skewed um conclusions in certain cases or you know or, or maybe they're not um conclusions but maybe he <laughs> he's considering certain options that that um maybe he shouldn't be before he's moving towards better conclusions depending on how you read the book but um yeah and I mean and 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 thanks for asking that question because maybe that's the <laughs> Maybe that's the best way I could I could um get to the get to that topic um in a way that actually feels better to me versus you know, is is this just memoir with fiction slapped on top of it, that question that version of the question?
0: Well, I don't plan on asking you that. So I feel like I'm <laughs> for that. And I, I just imagine that can be kind of offensive really when people say that to you, like to you as a writer that you As just- a writer. Yeah, I do want to get into the issues of identity because that's such a big part of this collection. And it's a lot about what Trelawney goes through. You know, he is forced to confront this question of what are you? Because he has very fair skin. And so to a lot of people, he doesn't look or sound like what they expect a Jamaican-American to look or sound like. And that just causes him a lot of trouble. Uh in the first story in Flux, Trelawney, who was around nine, asked his mom if they are black. And she just gives him this very winding answer that is not satisfying to him. And then when he presses her on it, she says, I was never asked such stupidness before coming to this country. Right. I really thought that was interesting. You know, the idea that what you are and whether you're black or not often depends on where you find yourself. You know, you explore that throughout the collection as we see Trelawney um, be among different groups of people. And he kind of tries to fit in with these people. And and I was wondering, what is it about this issue of, of identity and what makes someone black or what makes someone Jamaican American, as we talked about, what is it that fascinates you most about this question of identity?
1: Well, I think it in, in a way it's as much as I, I I am fascinated by the topics, um, the you know the the themes, the question of identity in itself, in a way that um I, I think uh from a kind of critical uh standpoint or or point of inquiry, I, I think I would always be interested in that. But I I didn't necessarily know when it came to fiction that I would want to be exploring these ideas um, in in a fictional mode, but it for me it became a question in a sense of almost like craft, um, where I wanted to explore a, a protagonist who. Um, in a sense, is just moving through the world. Before I even knew, you know, what he was going to be dealing with, what you know, any immediate conflict might look like for him, um, I, I, I had to figure out well, who's he going to be? And a lot of what I read growing up, um, a lot of what I read, I would say in the first half of, of college, even uh, people weren't really engaging with questions of identity in the way that I thought people in Miami where I was growing up were, were, were questioning these things. It's not that, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I hadn't read books where people grappled with race or these kinds of, um, you know, the, the like big capital R racism <laughs> or, you know, anti-blackness as, um, I, I'd read it as often happening in the, in the South, um, and often happening, you know, um, in time periods that were before I was even born, um, you know, thinking about just what's assigned in school and growing for me growing up in, in Miami, um, there was a lot more nuance and there was, you know, again, race was at play, but, and, and anti-blackness was at play as well. And, and all these things were happening, but, um, also like ethnicity was a, ma- a massive part of it. Um, I don't think I necessarily saw it immediately, but I I, I eventually came to see how like color um, and colorism was at play. Um, uh, Seeing how various like forms of um, language hierarchy was at play and how that shifted depending on who was around. Uh, And and so I don't know, for me, I thought, well, if I'm going to have a character who is alive in Miami in in the time period that I was alive, I I thought that he would have to be um, dealing with these issues. And I wasn't sure exactly where the volume was going to be turned on uh, that kind of exploration, if it was going to be the whole focus or, um, and, you know, as you said, Influx, I think is the place where we get that kind of major uh, focus on, 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 you know, identity. And these questions that Shalani is being asked, what are you? From nine years old, he's being asked, what what, what are you? He comes to his mother to say, are we Black? Because he finally starts to be asked that by uh, children at school or or his neighbors. Um, And as you pointed out, his his parents, they're coming from a different cultural context. Um, It's that ironic thing that happens to some Caribbean immigrants to some African immigrants to the children of the immigrants, um, that, that second generation immigrant experience where it's like your parents are actually coming from a majority black place so they never had to actually think about their their blackness. They, they might have thought of like colonialism in a way, but if they're a certain distance away from that, um, and their the, the the state is such that um, people in power look like them. Um, they they may focus on other things. Class may be the thing that they they talk about more, focus on. Um, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, sometimes you know, again, colorism or racism might get swept under the rug for that larger question of class, just depending on where we're talking about. Um, and then you know, um, intercountry uh, ethnic issues could be the main focus. But that's you know it's a distinction from the way we think about race anyway in the United States and um, but of course in the United States we expect everybody to take our uh, definitions and so again Chalani's parents weren't prepared for that because they're coming from a different country they're coming from a different uh, from a place where race was thought about different differently and so we're you know it's we're coming to a place now obviously like the world is. more interconnected so the way Americans think about these things is um bleeding into the way other countries start to, to think about race and identity but you know for for a couple of Jamaicans showing especially for lighter skinned Jamaicans who are in the middle class coming to the United States in the late 1970s pre, you know pre-internet as we had access to it um yeah, they just didn't know. <laughs> they didn't know what to tell them. Um, and, you know, Jamaica is the place where it's like, out of many one people, this Jamaica's like, embrace the fact that you have European ancestry, and you may have, you know, you definitely have um, African ancestry, you may have some kind of, you know, Asian ancestry, um, as well. And so, like, that embrace of a mixed identity is, is, it's strange for us. Um, but it's not as strange for them, at least not at that period in in history.
0: Well, reading this book reminded me of something that happened to me in my past when I was in college and I had a roommate or actually a suite mate. And the first time meeting her, just, you know, getting to know each other. And she shows me a picture of her boyfriend. And in these situations, you know, what do you do? It's like, oh, he's cute. And what she said to me was, he's not black. He's Samoan. And at the time, (laughs) I'm just kind of taken aback so like I don't think I asked you that question but it's just you know thinking about it now it's just kind of funny and it's I like the way in the book that you poke fun of you know racism and and racist ideas and the things that it makes people say and do in this book in such an effective way and I was just wondering as a writer how do you strike that balance between sort of making fun of racism because you know it end of the day, there, there are some funny things that happen because of people's racist beliefs. And then also acknowledging that this is something that really hurts people.
1: Yeah, um, I think part of the way I do that is using, especially in a story like um, In Flux, I think to some extent, although it's the, the lens is slightly different, thinking about immigration and the long-term effect of it um, in the story Under the Aki Tree. Both of those stories, it's the open and two stories of the book, they are following the main characters over the course of decades. And um, I wanted to kind of you know, hopefully the idea is to seamlessly jump from moment to moment that um, these these kind of moments that might be even sometimes considered, you know, like microaggressions or these micro moments. Um, I, for, for me, I think if I was gonna tell a story and it's like somewhere in the middle of the story, I was just to accept, excerpt one of these, um, these moments that Jelani has that these uncomfortable moments where people say something, either you know either racist or just um odd about race it, it, it to, to me you know i think a lot of people would assume okay this is a thing that maybe happens w- once or it happens a couple times but even if it happens a few times you it's not the it, it it doesn't really have a large-scale effect um on 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 who you are how you see yourself how you move through the world and so for a story like in flux i wanted to show this kind of um even though the the moments are different and you know uh, intentionally so so that where if chelani says oh, okay now i get it i can just embrace blackness for for example as one example um then he has people, you know, saying, but hey, you actually, but when I see you, you actually look more like this other group. Um, so there's a questioning of it, or he says, okay, now I'm embracing Jamaican-ness because now I can be Black and Jamaican and have my ethnicity and race and feel confident in that. And then people say, but, you know, you where's your accent? You don't sound Jamaican. How could you be Jamaican? So, you know, keeping him um, constantly you know, in flux in terms of his ability to claim one thing or another over the course of, you know, his life up to that point, we follow him into his um, mid or late twenties in that opening story. And there's um, I'm hoping for the reader, there's a kind of compounding effect that, you know, he, he starts to internalize the question certainly. And, and, you know, that's, that's becomes part of his problem. Um, But, uh, you know, I, I feel like in a way it's like this, this, death by a thousand paper cuts kind of thing, this slow, like killing of the soul, because he's, he's just wants to be chelani really, but he also just wants to be embraced. And he, he has the most difficult time, uh, being embraced by, by any particular community. Um, and people are insisting that he, you know, he identifies some way, but his answers never seem to satisfy
0: There's also a lot of humor in this collection and a lot of that comes through the story Odd Jobs where we see Trelawney and his dad have had a big falling out and he's basically been kicked out on the streets and he's living in his car and to survive he's taking on a lot of these odd jobs and as I was reading this part it really made me think this seems very true to life uh, to Miami, and that a lot of people are hustling and a lot of people are doing things that may be a, less than ethical uh, to try to make it. And this is the one part where I really did want to know did you draw upon what you saw here in Miami? Because it seems to be such a big part of the culture, this whole you know, everybody's got something going on. There are a lot of scammers out there. You have to be careful when you're talking to people or when you are considering opportunities.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I remember maybe it was the the 80s or the early 90s. There was a, I think it was a Miami Herald um, article that came out that, or maybe they were just reporting some other news source. You know, I hate to cite the wrong sources, but Uh. It was basically a an article that was talking about Miami as this kind of um, con, the capital of the world for cons, con artists, um, uh, was Miami, and uh, it, it was something that I remember seeing it, and something kind of clicked. And I was a boy at the time, and you know maybe a teenager at this point, but maybe not even that. But it kind of felt like. Like, yeah, it it feels true. If I walked down the street, this is pre, you know, I wasn't able to drive yet, meaning I walked everywhere I went if my parents didn't take me and someone was always trying to hustle you. (laughs) And there are those like aggressive hustles, but there's, there's also, there are so many people who, you know, if someone was being friendly to you, you had to kind of be suspicious. They were always going to try to, you know, sell you something fake or, (laughs) or, Um, you know get something out of you in one way or or another and so when we come to the you know the page now when you have a a Chalani he's 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 doing these odd jobs um, and he's largely trying to do the, the jobs that are you know they may be strange and depending on where a reader is coming from they may be "Quote unquote wrong," (laughs) it may be ethically wrong, morally wrong, Um, but largely what he's doing is, in most in most cases, I should say, he's doing what people are asking him to do, Um, (laughs) and you know, he's concerned with this question of you know how do I actually survive in the world, and do I need to be. Uh, ruthless in order to actually survive he's living out of his car at at this point he wants to not be living out of his car he wants to have a a, an apartment um and there's a point where he's uh blackmailed um by a a, a, sorry not blackmailed he's there's a point where he's bribed is what i need to say um there's a point in the, the the book where he's bribed because he even though he uh is a he's a largely he's an unhoused person, but he's also kind of in the seat of power because he can decide who gets off of this wait list to live in this elderly housing, uh, low income um, apartment building on Miami Beach. And um, he wants to spend time with this woman who's who's bribing him because he wants to understand like, is this how you get through? Uh, is this how you get by in the world um, when you when you don't have a safety net? As you know, all his safety nets have kind of fallen through at this point in the book. Um, and you know, I kind of wanted to you know explore some of those ideas because, um, as you said, you know Miami is a place with where everyone's hustling, and not all hustles are necessarily shady, but um, but some are, and some things are just kind of um, I don't know, uh, accepted in a way. I mean. Like certainly illegal, but accepted. I think about later in the book, um, there's a story from Delano's point of view, and he talks about, you know, what's what's it going to take for him to get his tree service back um, back on track? It's basically gone under, but he has this opportunity because the hurricane's about to land. And, and, and what happens in that kind of circumstance is that it creates opportunity for landscapers and tree service people to um, get fast work because they have to make sure there's not going to be a lot of debris um, to cause damage during the storm. And um, he's reflecting on a job that he lost out on because um, the the property manager wanted to sleep with him essentially. And he, he rejected her in a not very polite way. Um, But he talks about like kickbacks and like how there's, you know, this kind of accepted um, understanding that if you're going to get a big If you're going to get the, if you're going to bid on a big property like that, and you're going to get the contract, there's this almost implied, and I I may be exaggerating somewhat here, but not too much, that there's an implied implication that you're you're going to kick something back to the person who's making the decision to give you that job. Um, And so, you know, just all these different ways that like I've I've observed Miami operating um, and, you know. At the same time, we we talk about integrity being so important and we talk about honesty being so important um, in everywhere. But, you know, also there that that, I don't think that that changes (laughs) um, in a city like Miami. But it's like there are still some ways in which um, I don't know, especially when it comes to work. I mean, it's an interesting thing, because if I I think of Miami as this place of, of all these hustles, I also think about. Um, America as this place that has a kind of a particular um, view of, of, of work and goodness, work ethic and goodness, having a job and goodness to be a good, good person in our capitalist society, you must produce. Um, and I remember there's a point in the book where Chalani talks about what will make him a good employee. And he's thinking about um, these kind of low-level bribes that the tenants are dropping off at Christmas—they're giving—they're—they're they're dropping off Christmas cards, but inside the cards is you know money, five, ten dollars, um, whatever it may be. And it's but it's only the tenants who have their annual certifi- recertification coming up. Um, so it's the tenants who are about to be audited, essentially, um, and the decision will be made if they can continue to live in the building. And so they're dropping off these low-level bribes. And Shalani says, "Does taking the bribes make me a bad employee?" And he says he thinks not. He actually thinks if he lets poverty subsume him, if he lets um, his circumstances, um, if he's not able to eat, <laughs> if he's not able to, you know, do the job um, and, and, and you know the the most basic uh, sense of functioning as a human being, that would make him a bad employee. But I remember my UK editor, who was giving me notes at the same time as my US editor, said. Uh, it was the most interesting comment. It was basically a question like who actually cares if they're a good employee. (laughs) And and I was like, wait, what, what do you mean? Um, And maybe, you know, and maybe this is just my thinking, but my, but, but then my U.S. editor is kind of like, no, like, I think we just, we have a different relationship to to work in a sense of, um, of of worth. And even if you're, I I love that there's this new term, I think it's like, um, it's, It's like, like slow sting or or I might be mixing things up. There's like the slow quit. There's like the phase out where you, you decide you want to be fired, but you're just going to stop doing like basically anything that would be, that would make you a good employee because you realize you are not actually interested in moving forward at a particular job or maybe even in a particular career path. Um, I think it's like a, it's an idea of like a very rebellious thing still. It might be quietly rebellious, but you know, you're not really supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be working your hardest and giving your all. Um, and if not, then you're not being like, it's, it's like a, it's almost like a moral equated to a a moral failing. You're, um, you know, I think the, from the, the, the non-worker, uh, perspective, the, the, the vocabulary that might be put onto it is that you're like stealing, it's like wage theft, right? If you're not giving your all, you're basically stealing from your your employer. Um, and, you know, I don't think that's a concept that carries over all across the globe equally. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I find it very interesting to think about um, Chalani and his uh, approach to, you know, I mean, largely just survival, but work as well. Like, what what's going to actually um, make him good in the world, and also at the same time, of equal importance is is that question of survival. Can he be good and survive at the same time?
0: I hadn't even thought about when you write a book like this, and I see it's been translated into several languages. That you have different editors in. countries where your book is translated in. Were there any other things that didn't quite translate uh, from English that your editors had questions about or felt like you know maybe should be changed slightly for a different audience? Uh,
1: It's hard to say as a monolingual (laughs) English speaker. Uh, I, I was definitely asked some questions and then you know my assumption is that my editor i mean the, the main editor i've worked with so far translator i should really say um would be in germany and in germany they and i'm, I'm you know they they basically decided in germany they were going to call it a novel um over here in the us uh it's a link story collection um it's a finalist for the Booker Prize because it's it's because it's not just a collection; it's a it's of one world. <laughs> so now we're, we're it's existing in this very gray space. Um, when I was even with the U.S. Um, editors, when I was deciding who the book would land with, a lot of people over on this side said they wanted to call it a novel. Um, and, and so, in terms of translation, that was the main thing. I did have to do a lot of kind of explaining and unpacking, um, you know, when, when you say this, what, what does that actually mean? And a lot of that had to do with, um, a translation of the, the Jamaican Patois that appears in the book. Um, some of it had to do with, I mean, I, am sure someone somewhere would call it like a version of, of AAVE. Um, but really I'm just talking like Miamiisms often. Um, and, so explaining some of that um in ways i mean i had to do that with my u.s people as well sometimes not my editor necessarily but after you do those rounds of edits with you know your your, your actual editor then there's the copy editors who come in and that's like a whole different ball game because they are trying to keep you um in in ways they're they're building uh Rules around the language that you're using and the way the the story is is being written, and that's and I love that they they make you look so much smarter than you you might be, um but at the same time, I don't know. Like the copy editor, the, I I always trying to think. Okay, what's an example? And the one example that always comes to mind for me is like I'll have. I don't even know if this appears in my book, but if I describe a character as swole <laughs> and it's like, if you say you're swollen, like, you know, you're diesel, you're like, you know, you're, you're muscular, you're, you're, you might be a bodybuilder. Um, and the copy editor is always going to come in and say, do you mean swollen? Do you mean to say swollen? Is that the word? <laughs> is that the word? I don't I can't find swole in the Oxford English Dictionary. Um, and you as the author, it's always your job to change it right back from swollen to swole because you you you, because you know what you're talking about um and uh so so doing that a lot and um considering you know what i'm trying to do with language versus you know what's what's kind of sanctioned uh to do with language by the larger literary community and and english-speaking community um that might have been the trickiest thing of, of all honestly
0: Several of your stories are written in second person. And I found that that made me feel closer to these characters and to have more empathy for them. Um, Was that always your plan when you set out to write this collection or was that something that evolved over time?
1: It evolved in a way because I I think for me, a lot of the stories that I've loved so much, um, like a Lori Moore or a Juno Diaz and other people I, I won't remember right now, um, I, I took note of how they were using second person in conjunction with a long time version of telling a story. So, so you know, it's it's not a story like Odd Jobs where everything takes place in the, over the course of, it could have been an hour basically. Um, it's it's long time. It's like you're covering years, um, decades, in, in some cases, of a character's life. You might cover the entire character's life. And, you know, when we talk about short fiction, often we're saying, don't do that. <laughs> we're often saying short fiction is not about a character's entire life. Um, it's about, you know, distinct moments. Um, but for me, it's like, but no, I mean, I, I mean under, under the yaki Tree covers almost all of Topper's life, but it's not about everything that happens in his life. It's, it's following this particular thread, um, thread of, of of the immigration of a, of, of a family from Jamaica to the US. Um, and um, that question of, can that legacy survive um, across that movement, um, that movement of space and time? And so for me, using that kind of long time, it, it can help you focus the lens um, and I first discovered that when I was writing Influx. Um, it was like, I want the lens to be on identity. There's all kinds of things happening in Chelani's life at that, you know, as Influx is happening. And that's why a story, you know, that's why parts of the book double back so that in a story like Pestilence, we return to his childhood. Um, and he's not Concerned particularly with racial identity in 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 pestilence because he doesn't really we're back to an age where he doesn't really even know what race means uh, for the most part, um, and uh but in influx we can keep that lens very focused but we can cover a whole lot of time, um so I'm talking more about long time than I'm talking about second person but for me those it's always been very I don't know I, I think just based on what I was first reading um. When I first encountered uh, those two, those two storytelling uh, modes, um, they were always together and it made a lot of sense. It started to feel like very natural to me. Um, I think the intimacy part of it is that I I felt like there's like, in one sense, there's an honesty in terms of you know, or one would hope anyway, there's an honesty. If, if a character, if the you is Chelani and, and if the person going through the action is also Chelani, um, it's like this narrator, uh, who's speaking to himself in, in, in the case of Influx and in the case of, um, Under the Accu Tree and, and also the title story. And there's a way in which he can poke fun at himself. There's a way in which he can hold himself accountable. Um, we know like who the intended, recipient of the story is and there's no higher stakes for anyone that no one outside of trelawney you know cares about um this as much as trelawney cares about it um because you know this is like his life and who he's gonna be in the world and um and that's the utmost importance to him of course um and i think that's part of like how the intimacy is 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 created if it's a first person narrator um just depending on how a story is constructed, we don't always know who is being addressed. So sometimes it, it kind of just feels like it is just the reader being addressed. Um, sometimes um, it's made clear that it's a particular person who, you know, if, if it's like an epistolary and we know who it's addressed to, um, we, we might know um, who that intended audience might be. But sometimes it just feels so open. It feels like I could be telling the story to a stadium of people. Um, and I feel like there's maybe the intimacy can potentially get lost there in that that kind of um storytelling mode at least in my mind so for for me it's like you know Shalani can say the awkward thing because you know it's it's himself he's saying it to. um <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know i'm thinking of certain lines but i think i'll i think i'll opt not to <laughs> not to repeat them on your podcast
0: what are you working on now
1: uh, I'm working on a, a novel um, that's set back in Miami, and uh, I don't want to get too specific because it's, it's at the place where I have an outline, but also, you know, an outline is just an outline. It can go any number of ways, uh, but yeah, I think I'll leave it at that, actually. <laughs> I don't, don't want to give anything away, not because it's a spoiler, but because I might very well change everything. Uh, so it's still It's still early days with it.
0: Okay, well, still something to look forward to. A novel set in Miami coming soon. Yes. <laughs> um, Jonathan Escoffrey, I wanna thank you so much for coming on Read More to talk about your work. It's really been a pleasure to chat with you.
1: Ah, thank you so much for having me. And it's been a pleasure and uh, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to me.
0: I will be moderating a panel at the Miami Book Fair on November 19th with Jonathan and two other phenomenal writers. Please go to our website, readmorepodcast.com for more information. You can also find out there how to win a free copy of If I Survive You. And you can also help Jonathan and the show by purchasing his book on our site. Please follow us on what I will always call Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again next time for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton reminding you to read more.